0: Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode is Season 3, Part 16, Archive. My reactions after the episode aired back in 2017, including some podcast appearance. So uh, let's get right into that. Uh, After we do that, though, there will be, uh, with a fair warning, I'm going to talk about the opening minute of Part 17. But first, let's finish up part 16. Incidentally, the mention of Neon Genesis Evangelion in this review is timely because just this week that I'm releasing this episode publicly, years after um, writing that original essay that I'm reading, this uh, show, this anime show, was discussed on my site uh, quite extensively this week. I'll I'll mention some of that when I do my podcast updates, but one of the pieces was not a podcast. It was my first uh, written or new written review in a while. ...on the latest Evangelion film. So I'll link that in the show notes in case you're intrigued by my uh, mention of the original series finale here. In 2017, I wrote my response to the episode uh, immediately after watching it. So here's an excerpt from that. So, that just happened. As I reach for comparisons, the first to come to mind is episode 16 of the original Twin Peaks... ...the one in which Cooper magically solves the show's central mystery captures Leland Palmer and, temporarily, expunges Bob from the material world. No Knock No Doorbell has the same breakneck sense of pacing, a jaunty, breathless butterflies-and-stomach eagerness to hit its marks, and give us what we've anticipated for, well, 16 episodes, come to think of it. Okay, that's cheating, because the original episode 16 doesn't include the pilot in its count, but let's not go down that rabbit hole. Narratively, the match isn't exact, because Cooper's awakening precipitates but does not deliver a climax and tonally, the heroic return of our protagonist is a far more joyous occasion than the death of a killer. Stylistically, though, and on a more fundamental level of spirit, this feels remarkably similar. As followers of my work may know, I am not the biggest fan of episode 16 of the original series, but I like part 16 of this series quite a bit. True. David Lynch's open embrace of cheeky absurdity is a welcome addition to the original mix, since he didn't direct that earlier episode. Leland's capture has been compared to a Law & Order episode, given its more straightforward approach. But some of the things I enjoy about this semi-resolution are the same as what I do like about that older one. What differs is the context. The other comparison that just occurred to me, which feels more apt, is to the Neon Genesis Evangelion finale not to the sections featuring avant-garde animation or lengthy psychoanalytical internal monologues, but to a specific moment just before the end of that anime show when the lead character Shinji himself awakens. Skip two paragraphs if you care about a jarring, if brief surprise twist in the episode. Uh, In the case of this recording that you're listening to, I guess you can skip a couple minutes. The boy pops out of bed, greeted by his stereotypically ordinary parents, doing the dishes and reading the newspaper, and he races out the door with his best pal Asuka. Schoolyard drama ensues, and the whole thing has an air of wacky, antic energy, bubbling over with a sense of fun, even as its setting is aggressively every day. In this, I'm told, the spirit of the sequence corresponds with many other anime shows, without at all corresponding to the rest of Neon Genesis Evangelion. In the rest of the show, Shinji's parents aren't truly kitchen-dwelling normies. His dad is a sociopathic warlord, and his mother is dead. Well, kind of. It's a long story. His gal-pal-slash-girlfriend is, in real life, catatonic following her own violent trauma, and the city he's cheerfully jogging through in this vision, in his dream state, has actually been devastated by a massive battle in reality, in which he, no ordinary schoolboy, took part. Shinji, in the midst of a psychedelic reckoning, both physical and metaphysical, actually exists in a post-apocalyptic society, his life a mixture of numb depression and intense trauma, Far from being every day in its milieu, the series features giant mechas battling otherworldly monsters over the fate of the world. So this classroom interlude is a fantasy and or alternate reality demonstrating how Shinji's mind can create other realities. The sequence also offers what many frustrated viewers yearned for, the ability to relax alongside beloved characters without any anxiety which the show otherwise cultivates. This was, in a word, fan service but delivered with a cheerful wink and a sleight of hand. We enjoy the moment because it's enjoyable, and we appreciate it because it exists within a far more profound, if troubling, frame. Does Twin Peaks? Shortly after this episode, I recorded an appearance on Twin Peaks Unwrapped, where they were doing their episode recaps, and then they had me on after to discuss kind of where we were at in the series with one more episode to go. So here's a sample of that. Uh, I r- let it run for a little longer than I might have otherwise, because I find the last comments kind of amusing. You'll see why. We do have a special guest today. We're on the phone with Joel Bacco, the man, the myth, the guy who does LostInTheMovies.com. He does these amazing video essays. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. So we had to get you back on right before the end of the series. How are you doing? How are you feeling about this? Uh, this coming to a conclusion of Twin Peaks. It's it's exciting and it's kind of like, I, in a weird way, I feel like I'm less. I don't know if sad is the right. Maybe I'll feel differently once once it's really over. But um, I feel less like, kind of like oh like here's the end and everything, mm. because. It feels – I've loved watching it live and not knowing and waiting the weeks in between. Like it's a new experience for me. Yeah. But it also – like I was – I think I was kind of romanticizing it in a way ahead of time. Like there's going to be like nothing like this way of watching it. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's going to be – because I didn't – because I watched all of the original Twin Peaks just closely in a couple weeks on DVD. So I'm like, you know, this is going to be like – I don't even know if I'm going to want to like discuss it. Just like sit with it each week and let it like – wash over me like this dream and it's the the real show i think the diane podcast said this it's not really like that like it's a real thing so it's like you know parts of it are dreamlike parts of it like you struggle with parts of it you're excited with and parts of it you just re want to rewatch right away so it's it's the the thing for me is it's gonna end on sunday and that part of that experience is gone and i will never come back the watching it for the first time and that is great but it's also made me realize how much I do love what I've had with Twin Peaks, which is having the whole thing to wrestle with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see it reach that point. Just as much as I'm excited to see it for the first time, I'm excited to have this whole thing now and be able to kind of engage with it that way. It's, that's going to be a whole new experience. And I feel like that's going to be at least... I don't know how long you guys are planning on keeping doing your thing, but I feel like at least the next six to nine months, I'm going to (laughs) have a lot of Twin Peaks to stuff to do. So definitely it's almost like a beginning in a way. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're definitely talking about at least going to the end of the year. I mean, we definitely feel really pumped about this. We can do interviews till 2018 and then we have to reevaluate the show. And yeah, I
1: mean, we could go strong in the beginning of next year and then kind of, you know, Spread it out some? Right.
0: Yeah, so flash forward five years, and uh, kind of funny to think that I thought the really long-winded kind of wrap-up to my coverage of this series would be six to nine months. Oh boy, I haven't even finished the major projects that I had conceived at that time. So, And Twin Peaks Unwrapped, for what it's worth, they ran another four years. They didn't even know if they'd make it till the end of 2018 and uh they did finally conclude last year but they're still putting out episodes every few months now so <laughs> twin peaks never quite lets go also in 2017 i appeared as a guest on obnoxious and anonymous uh youtube podcast to discuss all of season 3 up to now and uh actually others there was like a group discussion and actually the producer Sabrina Sutherland popped on at one point so this was a nice climax to a summer of uh, Twin Peaks, and just a lot of work for me, a lot of opportunities to talk to other people, go on other podcasts, and so forth. So kind of fun to revisit this again now. Now, the audio um, goes out a little bit here that I was recording, but I was asking Sabrina Sutherland about how Miguel Ferrer, how they made accommodations for him in their schedule, and uh, if there were other circumstances that were similar, that provided challenges to her as a producer of this series. Also, Cameron, the host, mentions at one point a TMZ leak. This was something that happened during the production where something they were shooting got exposed. And uh, I won't say what it was at this point. We'll wait till the show's over to talk about that in this podcast format. Uh, We still got one more episode, you know, 10 20 more minutes however long this podcast is before we can really say there are no more spoilers in Twin Peaks but at this moment we'll hold off on that but uh, just know there was a spoiler that got out there Uh, what episode it pertains to I won't say and so he asked her about that they don't get into the details so don't worry but uh, that's part of this clip that I thought would be interesting to share Um, I'm curious I heard you talk I don't know if can you hear me okay now with the audio perfectly oh yeah Um, I heard you talk uh, from the festival about how, about dealing with Miguel Ferrer's absence and everything like that and how he came on weekends. I'm wondering, aside from that, logistical challenge that you were able to face and overcome one way or another to get this massive project. Oh my gosh.
1: That's a big question. Yeah, uh, you know, it this is it, it's funny because um you know we just had to i had to we all had to just look at this one day at a time because it was so massive um it's really like we did nine features in the period of time it would usually take one feature and uh and a, and a low budget one at that you know because if you have a, a giant 100 million dollar feature, you have, you know, tons of time and we didn't have that. So, um, gosh, that was, that was the, e- Miguel's thing was the easiest in a way. Um, mm. because everybody, you know, even though they were uncomfortable, cause we came back from Washington, which, you know, being six days and, and coming and they were kind of grumbling about that, that, that was really the easiest. Cause everybody loved Miguel. So once they were working with him, you know, there was never an issue, but we had a lot of big things. And um, I just would rather talk about that kind of stuff after the whole show's over.
0: Okay, so what about what about this, uh, when the TMZ leak happened, uh, when you guys were shooting up there in Washington, after that, it seemed like the entire production went on lockdown. Was that always the intention to go that much on lockdown or did that TMZ thing happen and you guys decided to uh, change tactics altogether?
1: No, we were always supposed to be on lockdown. Um, I think what happened was just the location kind of malfunction in that too many people were too close. And so, you know, we just realized we just have to step up our game a little bit, but it was always David's intent and, and marks, too, to not have spoilers.
0: In 2020, I released my Journey Through Twin Peaks Chapter 36 video essay on The Return called Forked Path, which was about uh, parts 14 through 16, so ending with this episode. Here's an excerpt. I am the FBI. This resurrection quickly becomes the most celebrated character moment of the entire season. Move over. I'll drive. And yet it feels oddly cartoonish. The soul of the episode can be found in the more broken, vulnerable characters, like Audrey or Diane. Or, I suppose, Tulpa Diane. This leaves us with a question. What sort of an ending are we going to get? Wow.
1: Take this.
0: A surprisingly, straightforwardly heroic confrontation, shifting the subversive drama into comic strip territory?
1: Come in, Diane!
0: Or a plunge into upsetting, alienating, but resonant psychodrama, fragmenting identities, and frustrating the desire for closure. How about both? And that wraps it for part 16 on to the finale. We're going to focus on the beginning of part 17 because 17 and 18 were aired together. I covered them together when I initially recorded this whole podcast for patrons years ago. So, uh we're just going to focus on the opening of part 17 as our last opening in uh Twin Peaks really. And I will note here, of course, you know, if you don't want if you haven't watched this episode yet, you're listening to these uh weeks of episodes in conjunction with each episode um fair warning you know we are going to play the audio and talk about uh, what we see on screen here so let's jump right into it the beginning of part 17.
1: you okay gordon couldn't do it albert i couldn't do it you've gone soft in your old age what I said you've gone soft in your old age. Not where it counts, buddy. Here's to the bureau. To the bureau. To the bureau. Now, listen to me. For 25 years, I've kept something from you, Albert.
0: Fade up on an establishing shot for Buckhorn, South Dakota. This is not the first time we've opened an episode in this location. In fact, it's the third to use an establishing shot before cutting inside the Mayfair Hotel for an FBI discussion. However, the other two times, part 12 at night and part 14 in the daytime, the establishing shot was of the hotel itself, its brick facade on a street corner reinforcing the sensation of burrowing inside a particular storyline. This time, the scope is wide, vast even, a mountain vista under a blue sky, brushed with cloud on a bit of the left side of the frame, with clusters of taller, brownish buildings in the middle ground, a downtown area, apparently, surrounded by green land dotted with specks of white, probably more residential than commercial, although we're too far distant to be sure. Brown and green grass and brush anchor the foreground, with an itsy-bitsy fenced-in patch on the left side with a small bare tree in front of it. Atop the little hill we are viewing this landscape from, That's the bottom quarter or so of the frame, the next quarter up being the town, while the whole top half is the sky. A cluster of homes peek out from just under the left side of the hill, separated from the rest of the town by a snaking, paved road, with what looks like another little line of hills and mounds dotted with some evergreens that drop off on the edge of town. This road, marked by two white trucks dragging trailers and a black truck behind them, leads to an intersection on screen right. You turn left to go down into town, and turn right to cross a little bridge over a gulch leading somewhere else off-screen. The road is blocked on the right edge of the frame by a little shed with a meter in front of it, next to a skinny pole with no horizontal lines. A single wire arcs up from that pole, almost to the left corner of the frame, and then a diagonal of nine wires descends from about that spot to a conventional utility pole, two horizontal lines, just next to the cluster of homes near the right side of the composition. As the homes stretch out into the distance, more sparsely, further away uh, beyond the downtown and its left flank, a natural rolling landscape dominates, crowned near the middle of the composition, slightly off-right by one large hill or little mountain, an elevated island on the plain, separated from the range behind it which forms the horizon line. About five seconds in, cut to a medium shot of Gordon Cole. To his left, the edge of an electrical switchboard with a number of buttons and red lights, Only the the one very near the top of the frame is blinking. The edge of someone else's desk phone, black and in a cradle, is blurry in the left corner of the composition, while next to Gordon's dark chair is a diagonal little side table with three phones on it. Two identical black phones in cradles, and one silver phone on a stand. Behind Gordon, against the yellowish faintly checked wall, a lamp with a dimly gold pole in the bottom of a yellow lampshade. To Gordon's right, only a silver Apple computer display, with the FBI logo on screen, atop a dresser. Gordon gazes down at the pistol in his hand, jostling it slightly as he turns to look off screen right to where we know Diane just was in the previous episode. A hand reaches into frame from screen left, holding a glass, the edge of the figure's jacket protruding just as Gordon looks up, and we cut to a reverse shot, angled upwards of Albert, leaning in and gazing downward before offering a slight glance, with a look of reserved concern in Gordon's direction. Behind Albert, the ceiling, the curtains, the crisscrossed window, a wall, the edge of a painting, the edge of a screen, a lampshade, almost all are shades of light brownish yellowy orange, as if the FBI are inside a warm cozy cocoon. Cut very quickly back to the shot of Gordon, Albert's middle section now filling the left side of the frame as he places the glass of red wine on a surface just beneath the frame. Gordon remains fixated on the gun loosely in his palm as he answers Albert's inquiry from the previous shot. He shakes his head and jostles the gun a little more. Back to the reverse of Albert, turning away to return to his seat as he makes his observation. While he's still turning, we cut to the Gordon shot, Albert's body now leaving the frame as Gordon cocks his head up in Albert's direction to ask for a repeat. The reverse of Albert, now closer to the window in a medium composition. The lamp, wine bottle, and bowl of ice visible on screen right, and a full black display case with silver trim, two little monitors above one big one, filled with text, and crowned with a horizontal red-to-green line and a red dot. The painting and shadow behind this screen appears to be a series of almost monstrous shapes across the landscape, though they could be something as innocuous as trees, if trees count as innocuous in the Twin Peaks world. It's hard to make out from here. Albert turns as he replies to Gordon's request for clarification, leaning slightly toward him for emphasis. Gordon places the gun down on the surface next to the wine glass, and gazes at it rather than at Albert while offering his sly rejoinder. Cut to a medium shot of the light gray surface table that Tammy, and now Albert as he takes his seat, Are positioned behind. Albert faces another black telephone and cradle. Tammy a silver laptop with glowing Apple insignia. Her wristwatched hand rests on the table. Another machine with blue and red lights and display full of text appears behind her. The curtain folds, stretching over her right shoulder. Tammy and Albert both have a glass of red wine in front of them. As Albert sits down, glancing at the table in front of him, Tammy looks right at Gordon, shifting slightly in her seat, offering a knowing look and a smirk in his direction. Cut to Gordon raising his glass and glancing at Albert to offer a toast. When Tammy and Albert, she looking quite pleased and he looking weary and mildly irritated, return the toast, Tammy stares straight at Gordon off screen, while Albert's eyes are downcast. Both sip, all three in fact, as we see when we cut back to Gordon. Swallowing his drink, placing it down, and resting his elbow as he leans toward his companions, Gordon looks right at Albert and begins to speak. Then he locks it off into space, downward, contemplative, blinking and gulping slightly, nervous and or pensive, which captures Albert's attention in a slightly closer medium. He looks up at Gordon, lips pursed, and Tammy looks concerned as she sighs. Albert, anticipating, appears almost compassionate rather than resentful, as he prepares for Gordon's regretful revelation. Cut to Gordon, looking at Albert. Back to Tammy and Albert. Back to Gordon. A slight, subtle sigh, and he begins speaking, tilting his head and almost pointing his eyeballs at Albert. We end on the slightly wider medium of Tammy and Albert. Tammy tilts her head a bit and blinks, as Albert begins a similar shift, grim but not upset, ready to hear what Gordon has to say, as our minute, the final opening minute of Twin Peaks as it aired, concludes. And that's it. That's a teaser for the finale. However, it's not certain yet at the time of this recording, I'll probably have a better idea by the time it's published, but won't really know till the day of, If I'm going to do the final week on schedule, I decided to go ahead with part 16, which I was initially hesitant about, but I had enough done on that that I felt like, okay, that's worth putting out that week of episodes as well. I may save the finale for the new year, so I have a little more time to prepare it. It's a much bigger episode to cut down from the Patreon recording. Usually these recordings are like 45 minutes to an hour, and I slice them into daily components. The uh, 17 and 18 discussion is, I think, close to three hours, so there's a lot more to dig into. I haven't done the illustrated companion for it yet at the time of recording. Again, it may be finished at uh, time of publication. So that may, I may need some more time for that as well. And then finally, with the last week of 2022 coming, there's some projects I really wanted to have at a certain point in order to feel like I could continue them in the new year. I'm nowhere close to that at recording time. So that's something else to consider. Do I want to make the space for that, and then finish up with 17 and 18 early in 2023. Not sure yet. Either way, we will finish season three. It's just a question of if you have to wait a few weeks or jump right into it tomorrow. So nice little surprise for you. We'll, we'll find out what happens. But uh, if I don't come back before that, Merry Christmas, probably Happy New Year as well. And I'll see you on the other side of something.